0: Hi everyone, welcome back to the MedBullet Step 2 and 3 podcast. In today's episode, we cover the topic of paroxysmal nocturnal hemoglobinuria found under the hematology section at MedBullets.com. Let's begin with a clinical snapshot. A 29-year-old woman presents to the emergency room with a high fever and cough. She has been feeling fatigued for a year prior to presentation. Chest radiography reveals a lower lobe pneumonia. Labs reveal a hemoglobin of 6.7, a leukocyte count of 5,000, platelets of 100,000, a high reticulocyte count, and high LDH. Coombs' test was negative. Concerned with the apparent intravascular hemolysis, a bone marrow biopsy showed hypercellularity and normal cytogenics. Flow cytometry was positive for CD55, CD59 negative red blood cells. Let's continue with an introduction to paroxysmal nocturnal hemoglobinuria, or PNH. As a reminder, this is a clonal stem cell defect for mutation in hematopoietic stem cells, and it may cause aplastic anemia, myelodysplasia, and acute leukemia. In terms of the pathogenesis, there is a mutation in the PIGA gene. This results in a defect in the glycosophosphatidyl inositol anchors CD55 and CD59 on the red blood cell membrane. Remember that CD55 is also called decay accelerating factor. These ultimately protect the red blood cell from complement, and decay accelerating factor inhibits C3 convertase. So there is complement mediated destruction of red blood cells, and there's activation of platelets and white blood cells. The clinical features can be remembered by the mnemonic PNH thrombosis. This stands for pancytopenia, nocturnal buildup of dark urine, Coombs negative hemolytic anemia, which is complement mediated, and venous thrombosis. The venous thrombosis is from procoagulant and proinflammatory states formed by complement activation. Moving on to the presentation. Symptoms in the physical exam will demonstrate episodic dark urine with the first urine of the day, which is caused by the hemoglobin. There will be a chronic intravascular hemolytic anemia, which may present with pallor, fatigue, tachycardia, jaundice, and gross hematuria. There will be acute hemolytic episodes from activators of complement. This may be initiated by surgery, infection, stress, or alcohol. There will be thrombocytopenia, which may present with mucosal bleeding, petechiae, and ecchymoses. There will be leukemia, which may present with infections. There will be thrombosis, which may present with abdominal pain, fever, and rectal bleeding if there is a mesenteric vein thrombosis, headache, vomiting, and seizures if there is cerebral venous sinus thrombosis, and fever, jaundice, or hepatomegaly if there is Budd-Chiari syndrome. There will also be renal impairment. In terms of further studies, flow cytometry is the most accurate test, and it will demonstrate CD55 and CD59 negative red blood cells. Other labs may demonstrate anemia, thrombocytopenia, and leukopenia. In terms of the differential diagnosis, make sure to think about aplastic anemia and myelodysplasia. With regards to the diagnosis, remember that this is often made during pregnancy. And in terms of treatment, the best initial therapy is eculizumab or ravulizumab. This inactivates C5 in the complement pathway, so it decreases red cell destruction as it is a complement inhibitor, However, patients must be vaccinated against all Neisseria due to the increased risk of infection. The best curative therapy is allogeneic bone marrow transplant, and supportive therapy includes folic acid and transfusions as needed. Complications related to PNH include renal insufficiency, thromboembolism, a 5% development of myelodysplasia, and 2.5% development of acute leukemias. And lastly, with regards to prognosis, remember that it is improved with the use of eculizumab. Now that we've discussed the major points relating to paroxysmal nocturnal hemoglobinuria, let's walk through some questions to apply what we've learned and get a sense of how the topic might be tested. For the first question, consider the following clinical scenario. A 30-year-old African-American man is hospitalized for sickle cell anemia workup in the setting of acute onset dyspnea and fatigue. The patient reports that he often wakes up tired due to his occupation as an investment banker. He had noticed his urine appearing dark, but suspected that it was because of inadequate hydration. He reports that his left leg is sometimes swollen despite wearing compression socks. The night prior, he had just closed a major merger and celebrated by drinking at a bar with his colleagues. He denies any family history of a blood disorder. His temperature is 98.6 degrees Fahrenheit, or 37 degrees Celsius. Blood pressure is 100 over 50, pulse is 120 beats per minute, and respirations are 28 breaths per minute. Physical exam is notable for subconjunctival pallor and splenomegaly. His left leg appears mildly larger than the right leg. Laboratory studies demonstrate a hemoglobin of 7, hematocrit of 21%, MCV of 92, reticulocyte count of 4%, leukocyte count of 3,900 with the normal differential, and platelet count of 27,000. Sodium is 137. Chloride is 100. Potassium is 5.6. Bicarbonate is 20. BUN is 10. Glucose is 90, creatinine is 0.9, TSH is 3.4, calcium is 9.2, AST is 15, ALT is 25. Lactate dehydrogenase is 580 with a normal range between 80 and 280. Haptoglobin is 20 with a range between 30 and 220. Bilirubin is 7.2, direct bilirubin is 0.8. His urine is dark, there are scant epithelial cells, it is negative for glucose, two white blood cells per high-powered field, one red blood cell per high-powered field, and no bacteria. A peripheral blood smear demonstrates microcytic hypochromic cells. Ultrasound of his left lower extremity reveals an occlusive venous thrombosis in the left femoral vein. Which of the following is the most appropriate test to confirm the most likely diagnosis? And the answer choices are choice one, bone marrow biopsy, choice two, direct Coombs test, choice three, flow cytometry, choice four, G6PD assay, or choice five, osmotic fragility test. The best answer to this question is choice three, flow cytometry. This vignette presents a patient with evidence of hemolysis as evidenced by the elevated LDH in potassium and decreased haptoglobin and hematuria in the setting of pancytopenia and venous thrombosis. This constellation of laboratory signs in the setting of acute fatigue is concerning for paroxysmal nocturnal hemoglobinuria, which can be confirmed via flow cytometry. PNH involves a mutation in the PIGA gene that limits proper attachment of CD55 and 59 on the red blood cell membrane. These proteins prevent complement-mediated injury. In their absence, complement binds and damages red blood cells while activating platelets and white blood cells. The clinical history is marked by dark urine in the morning and chronic fatigue secondary to chronic intravascular hemolysis. Laboratory signs of hemolysis, such as elevated potassium and LDH and decreased haptoglobin, pancytopenia, and clinical evidence of hypercoagulability, such as arterial or venous thrombosis, are supportive. Flow cytometry to look for the absence of CD55 and 59 confirms the diagnosis. Let's also discuss why the other choices are incorrect. Choice 1. Bone marrow biopsy may be helpful to narrow the differential for this patient's pancytopenia, but it would not most accurately diagnose PNH. Choice 2. Direct Coombs test examines for autoimmune hemolytic anemia, which is extravascular hemolysis. In PNH, this test is negative since the hemolysis is complement-mediated, not antibody-mediated. Choice 4. G6PD assay examines for possible G6PD deficiency. This disease is hereditary and is not marked by chronic hemolysis, splenomegaly, or thrombosis. Choice 5. The osmotic fragility test can help diagnose hereditary spherocytosis, by assessing how easily red blood cells undergo hemolysis in hypotonic salt solution. This test is negative in patients with PNH. Finally, a bullet summary. The absence of CD55 and 59 on flow cytometry is the most appropriate test for diagnosis of paroxysmal nocturnal hemoglobinuria. For the second question, consider the following clinical scenario. A 27-year-old woman presents to the emergency department complaining of a left-sided headache and right-sided blurry vision. She states that two weeks ago she developed dark urine and abdominal pain. She thought it was a urinary tract infection, so she took trimethoprim sulfamethoxazole that she had left over. She planned on going to her primary care physician today, but then she developed headache and blurry vision, so she came to the emergency department. The patient states she is otherwise healthy. Her family history is significant for a brother with sickle cell trait. On physical exam, there is mild abdominal tenderness, and the liver edge is felt 4 centimeters below the right costal margin. Laboratory studies demonstrate a hemoglobin of 7, platelets of 149,000, reticulocyte count of 5.4%, LDH of 3,128, total bilirubin of 2.1, indirect bilirubin of 1.4, AST of 78, ALT of 64. A peripheral smear shows polychromasia. A Doppler ultrasound of the liver shows decreased flow in the right hepatic vein. Magnetic resonance imaging of the brain is pending. Which of the following tests, if performed, would most likely identify the patient's diagnosis? And the answer choices are choice 1, antihistone antibodies, choice 2, bone marrow biopsy, choice 3, flow cytometry, choice 4, glucose 6-phosphate dehydrogenase levels, or choice 5, hemoglobin electrophoresis. The best answer to this question is choice 3, flow cytometry. This patient presents with dark urine, hemolytic anemia as evidenced by the decreased hemoglobin with elevated lactate dehydrogenase, and evidence of thrombosis as evidenced by the decreased hepatic vein flow. This is suspicious for paroxysmal nocturnal hemoglobinuria, which can be diagnosed with flow cytometry. PNH is a hematologic disorder caused by the absence of two anchored proteins, CD55 and CD59. These proteins play a role in complement regulation so without them, a state of continuous complement activation occurs. Patients present with hemolytic anemia as evidenced by increase in lactate dehydrogenase, decrease in hemoglobin, increase in potassium, possibly an elevated reticulocyte count, in hemoglobinuria, as well as thrombosis, which may present with hepatic and cerebral thrombosis. The hemoglobinuria often occurs with the first urine of the day due to buildup overnight. Paroxysms of severe hemolysis are often caused by physiologic stress such as infection, surgery, or inflammation. The most accurate test for PNH is flow cytometry to identify red blood cells that lack CD55 and CD59. Let's also discuss why the other choices are incorrect. Choice 1. Antihistone antibodies may be elevated in drug-induced lupus. The common drugs that cause drug-induced lupus include sulfasalazine, hydralazine, isoniazid, penicillamine, procainamide, and phenytoin. Patients present with fever, myalgias, rash, arthralgias, and sericitis, similar to systemic lupus erythematosus, while hematologic abnormalities and liver abnormalities are less common. Choice two, bone marrow biopsy is the most accurate test for aplastic anemia, which has multiple etiologies. Reticulocyte count would be low. While PNH can be associated with aplastic anemia, flow cytometry is the confirmatory test for PNH. Choice four, G6PD level can confirm the diagnosis of G6PD deficiency. G6PD deficiency presents with acute hemolytic anemia, which may present with jaundice, dark urine, and back pain, usually after drugs such as dapsone, nitrofurantoin, and sulfa drugs, as well as infection and fava beans. It is not associated with thrombosis. Choice 5. Hemoglobin electrophoresis is required to diagnose sickle cell disease. Sickle cell can present with a vaso-occlusive crisis. Sickling would be seen on peripheral blood smear. Finally, a bullet summary. Flow cytometry is the most accurate test for paroxysmal nocturnal hemoglobinuria. That's all for this review about paroxysmal nocturnal hemoglobinuria, or PNH. We hope that was helpful. This is the MedBullets Step 2 and 3 podcast, a daily audio review session for MedBullets, the free learning and collaboration community for medical student education. As a reminder, you can follow along with these podcast episodes by reviewing the topics directly on MedBullets.com.